While our kids are making their way to their classrooms, uh, you're going to need a Bible to follow along with me today, your app or something. But if you need a Bible right now, don't be ashamed to raise your hand. We do this every week. Raise your hand. We'll bring you one uh, right now. Anybody need one? Raise your hand. All y'all people brought y'all's Bible? Good for you. Good for you. If you didn't, one, raise your hands up. Wave them in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. Yep, one right here. All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter seven. If you're new to us, and I know a lot of you are, I know you're a lot of here to a lot of you are here to celebrate baptisms today, and uh, we call these celebratory baptisms because we love to celebrate with people who have moved from death to life, who are following Jesus, and so we're glad that you're with us today. Some of you I know didn't specifically come for that. We're glad with you with us today. Uh, so we practice expository preaching at Refuge, verse by verse preaching through the text, uh, and we do that because we don't like to skip over the hard stuff. Uh, if you don't do expository preaching, you can kind of skip those squishy places or those places that get controversial. But we don't get to do that here because we literally preach verse by verse. Uh, you may say, well, that sounds kind of boring, preacher. Well, we say boring preaching is sinful. And so we try not to make it boring for you uh, along the way. Uh, the scripture certainly is alive and active. Uh, and so we, want, we, we like to trust the Lord for what he says in his, in his word. So Last week, uh, we covered the stoning of Stephen. Uh, and, and if you are familiar with that at all, it's in uh, Acts chapter 7. And Stephen had, uh, was declaring the gospel. And uh, Saul, who was uh, a part of the religious organization at that time, uh, was really kind of beginning to chase down Christians. And, and Saul became his target. And in that, uh, Saul declared, uh, excuse me, Stephen declared the, uh, uh, the gospel last week. And, and so we just declared the same things that he did in his text last week. And then we got to the end of uh, our text and we saw, we gave a kind of a pictorial thing up here where, where people were uh, having stones ready to stone him to death. And think about that. He was stoned to death. That means people literally threw stones at him and hit him enough times until he died. We'll talk about that just a little bit more because I want to go into it a little bit in more in depth. But that's where we got to that. Uh, uh, and and he, was, he was stoned because he declared that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He was rejected by his own. Stephen was rejected by his own. Jesus was rejected by his own for the fact that he claimed to be those things. Uh, uh, and some of you today still reject that same message. Some of you today still reject the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. You think there may be other ways. You think there may be multiple ways. But if you believe those kinds of things, then you believe the very opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, that means no one, comes to the Father except through Jesus. And it is our hope for you today that you, if you are outside the household of faith, if you're struggling with faith, or you've got lots of questions about who, what it means to be a Christian, that you, uh, one, you ask those questions today, or our prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit will actually awaken your heart to the gospel. He will open your eyes to what the truth is, and today might be your very day of salvation as well. And so we're going to jump back into verse 54. Uh, this is just the end of where we picked up last week, because I want to kind of roll into getting into Saul and talking about him today. So verse 54. 
Uh, now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. This was Stephen speaking, in this, and, the, and the talk that he gave and talked about Jesus was the only hope. He went all the way back into the Old Testament and said, hey, all these things pointed to Jesus. He, is, he was the hope in the Old Testament. He is the hope today. And so, uh, and this made those guys really mad. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. This was the religious leaders during the time they were angry and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Isn't that interesting to you that, that he is gazing into heaven while all these angry people around him, he doesn't get his eyes off Jesus. He didn't get his eyes somewhere else. He, the scripture doesn't tell us that he was filled with fear or anything at all like that. He just kept his eyes on Jesus. He knew where the prize was. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. He kept his eyes on Jesus. The text goes on and says, and he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. He declared that. He said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I know you're about to kill me, but I, this is what I see, and I can't not say it to you today. Verse 56, uh, excuse me, 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Let's pick up at 57, and we'll kind of ramp ourselves into it. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together out him. So when, when, when Stephen said this very thing, hey, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, it was way too much for these religious leaders. You know, they already didn't believe Jesus said that who he said, said he was who he said he was. They didn't believe any of that at all. And so when Stephen declared this to them, that he actually sees him at the right hand of God, they were so angry. They were so angry because that was blasphemy to them in the day. They were like, how could you equate this Jewish carpenter dude with God? How can you say that he's at the right hand of God? He was a blasphemer. There's no way that he was who he said he was. It, the same thing happened to Jesus uh, back in Matthew chapter uh, 26, uh, whenever he stood before, on his trial, he stood before uh, the, that Sanhedrin. He stood before those religious leaders of the day. And if you remember, they were asking him, who are you? Who, who, who are you? Who do you say you are? And sometimes he was quiet. But there were times in Matthew chapter 26 that he declared who he was. And they ripped their garments at the time. Because again, that was a religious practice. When, they, when someone would blaspheme God, some of these religious leaders would rip their garments in half or, or, or in two. Because they believed that someone was blaspheming God. And they believed that Jesus was a blasphemer. And so because Stephen reiterated these very same things, they believed Stephen was a blasphemer as well. But Stephen saw this resurrected Jesus and this ascended Jesus really in a place of authority. At the right hand of God. And again, because it was blasphemy to the religious leaders... Uh, because the, there was a crucified man. If you were crucified during that time, you were, they considered you under a curse. And so they were over and outwardly, uh, outwardly enraged about the fact that he was saying this. 
I mean, these were distinguished men. These religious dudes were distinguished dudes. They weren't like us at Refuge where we wear our khakis or our jeans and my tennis shoes and my shirt out and all that kind of stuff. They didn't dress like this during the day. They, put, they had the robes and the tassels and the jingle bells and all those things on them. I mean, they were decked out to the nines back in the, back in the day. And, and so these were very distinguished men. And, and so their reaction to what Jesus was, was saying um, was seems like over the top and kind of out of character for such a religious guy, such religious guys during the time. But if you think about it today, you know, again, so these are religious guys who have rejected the Messiah who has come. We kind of see some of those same kind of things today. If you're going to talk with somebody who's going to reject Jesus, an over the top reaction might be what you get from some people especially religious people that may, ha may have a different view of who God is or who Jesus is, but many times it's just people that maybe some in your own family, maybe some of you that have that same reaction to talking about who Jesus is, that it's a violent reaction. It's a, I don't want you saying that to me again. Stop talking to me about that. Stop telling me who Jesus is. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to hear that he's Messiah. I don't want to hear that he's God because that means I've got to confront my own sin in my life. I know he's going to confront me. And what he says in the scriptures is going to have to confront myself with my own sin. So I don't want to hear it. And how about you just shut it? That's basically what was going on. How about you shut up, Stephen? Stop saying these things. I mean, it seems almost overly demonic even. These religious men reacting violently just at the fact of who Jesus said he was. You know, it's a dangerous thing to be religious apart from a relationship with Jesus. A dangerous thing to be religious apart from a relationship with Jesus. John chapter 16, uh, Jesus talked about this. He said, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. To be, he said, you should expect this is coming whenever you talk about me. Jesus was saying this. When you talk about me, he said, you should expect that people are gonna re react with you with vitriol. And so if they did it during the day, why would we not expect the same thing today? Why would we not expect someone who is outside the household of faith sometimes to react with such fervor and anger towards us whenever we talk about Jesus? It's a dangerous thing today. The reality is we wrestle in the good old South with religiosity versus a response to the gospel. Religiosity says that I'm going to compartmentalize my life and I'm going to give God just the sliver of my life. And I know how to, I did it for a lot of my life. 30 years of my life, I played this game. Where I'm going to get, I know how to act when I go to church. I know the things I'm supposed to do, not supposed to do. I know the things I'm supposed to hide from people. I know the people that I can say certain things around. I know other people that I can't say certain things around. I know the people that I can go to places with, other people that I can't go to places with. And when I'm around my church people, you know, I want to make sure that I don't do that or say that or wear that or, you know, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? You know what I'm saying? That's religion. It's useless. Here's what I would tell you. If that's where you're living today, if that's the world that you live in today, you're wasting your time. Religion is of no value. No value in righteousness. 
Only a relationship with Jesus Christ gives value in righteousness, brings you righteousness, gives you the righteousness. That's the glory of the gospel, is that Jesus gives us all his righteousness, and he takes all of our sin. The glory of the gospel, the scandal of the gospel, that he takes all our junk and gives us all his good stuff. I like, we, we talk about the great exchange in here at Refuge a lot. The, again, he, he made him who knew no sin, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's called the great exchange. We talk, I said this before a couple weeks ago. It, we're like snow-covered dung. Okay? A big old pile of dung, poop, covered with snow. That's, that's, that's a picture of us in Christ, that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. That's a beautiful picture. And so the, the text goes on and said, even these religious guys, though they were angry at him, it says that they rushed together with him. And, and so uh, this uses this Greek term that I can't pronounce the word, um, but it's the same word that, uh, if you remember the story about Jesus casting the swine into the ocean, like they ran off a big mountain and they ran into the ocean. That they, they, uh, and it talks about, uh, and so when they rushed together at him, that, that mad herd of pigs that ran off, in, off into the cliff, or off the cliff into the ocean, is the same way that these guys were rushing at Stephen. Angry, fast, aggressive. This is not some sauntering over and being nice and, you know, don't get my robe in a, in a tizzy, you know, none of that kind of stuff. It's like, we going for you, bro. We're coming for you. Same way they rushed at Stephen. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city. They stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so all their anger resulted in the stoning of Stephen. At the stoning week, again, last week, if you weren't here, uh, we, we brought some guys up on stage, and they all had rocks that were about, you know, this big, and they stood over here, and we had Josh Hawley, who needed to be stoned that day, uh, but survived it. Uh, we stood him here, and we just gave a picture of what it must have looked like and the anger that people might have had, and, and, and I described to the congregation that day, think about these dudes throwing stones at this dude until he dies. And the way this worked, it obviously didn't do it in this type of way, but the way it worked during the time was if they were going to stone someone, and, and, and this wasn't the first stoning, it wouldn't be the last stoning, it's just the first one that we get recorded, that we get to see, the first stoning of a martyr, um, is they would dig this big deep pit, probably 12, 10 to 12 feet deep, and they would stand whoever was going to be stoned on the edge, and all these people would gra gra uh, go around this circle where they dug this hole, and at some point somebody would push the guy in the hole. And then if that fall into the hole didn't kill him, then one of the religious leaders would take a big stone and they would throw it at him in his head and hopefully try to hit him in the head and hopefully kill him with one blow. But if that didn't work, then all the other people that were around him, would, think about this, this dude's in this hole and, and you're way up here on top down here and he's down on the floor and they're just pelting him with stones until he dies. That was the picture of what it looked like whenever someone was stoned. Whenever Stephen was stoned, that's what was going on. And Saul stood there and he watched it. Supervisor over the whole operation. He had really given approval to Stephen being stoned that day. 
Let me go on and see what Stephen's last words were. Look in verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Think about that. Don't hold this against them. Don't hold the fact that they've falsely put me here and they've thrown me into this pit and all of them have giant stones they're throwing at my head. Don't hold this against them. Complete trust in God. Believing that Jesus would take care of him in the life that was to come. Completely trusting in God. That's what we see in verse 59. Here's what someone wrote, uh, and I want to make sure that I don't miss this up. He said, the, the extreme situations in the olden days never made martyrs. Listen to this. Extreme situations like this. Stephen wasn't made a martyr just because he was stoned and, and they killed him with stones that day. Uh, the extreme situations in the olden days never made martyrs. They revealed them. They revealed martyrs. No over-the-top persecution ever creates martyrs. It reveals them. Stephen was a martyr before they stoned him. He had decided already that Jesus is my highest value. Jesus, I, I'm staking my life on the fact that I trust Jesus. I believe he was alive. I believe he lived a sinless life that I cannot live. I believe he died on a cross and shed his blood to cover my sin debt. I believe God raised him from the dead three days later. I believe he ascended back to the Father and he is interceding for me at the right hand of the Father even now. And I believe that whenever I leave this life, my, I'll, I'll die here and I'll wake up in the presence of Jesus. That's what he believed. So many of us believe. I believe that today. I hope you believe that today. He believed it so much, he was like, okay, bro, kill me. Hit me with those rocks. To live as Christ, all right? Paul, would, the guy that's, that has uh, uh, approved this, he even said this later. To live as Christ, to what? Die. To die as gain. He didn't know those words at the time, but that's the way he was living. They don't make martyrs. It reveals martyrs. He said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And what we know is, and we know on the, side, on the other side of the story is that it began that transformation for Saul. It began that transformation for Paul to, to, to eventually meet the Lord Jesus and this one that Stephen had spoken of that Saul would eventually meet him and it would become, ended up becoming one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest missionaries that we read in through the New Testament. He wrote very much of the New Testament that we read today. I mean, he is the evidence of the fact that Jesus changes lives. We should do that too. Our, our, our calling is, is to live that way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, no matter what you're facing, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Your path may not be easy. Your path may not be smooth. Your path may be riddled with difficulties. Your path may be riddled with opposition. But in all our way, in all our ways, he'll direct our paths. Trust in him. Stephen was like, do not hold this against him. Do not hold what it is against him. I mean, we see glimpses of Jesus in that, right? Whenever Jesus is on the cross, he said some of those same kinds of things. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen was saying the same thing. Don't hold this against them. 
God. The scripture tells us that he fell, fell asleep. That's a kind way of saying that he moved from this life into the next one. He fell asleep here and he opened his eyes in the presence of his king. Stephen wasn't the Superman, but he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit who was willing to stand in the face of opposition, who was willing to stand and, and stand on what he believed in, stand on the fact that he knew the resurrected Jesus, that trusting in Jesus meant something, that changed something. Stephen was a guy who uh, trusted in those things, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit here at Refuge. Uh, I, I know I grew up in the church and and, and we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. We left that to our cra crazy charismatic friends, you know, the Pentecostals and, and uh, uh, some of the Church of God. I mean, I'm not throwing stones. That's just what my Baptist roots taught me. And, and, and so we left the Holy Spirit to our crazy uh, cousins, you know. Uh, and, and, and so we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit at all. But the Spirit is who is alive and active today. I mean, Jesus said, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit there because Jesus had limited himself to be in a place, in a body. And so he said, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit. And so the Spirit can be active and alive everywhere and dwelling us as believers and still be active in multiple other places. And so the Holy Spirit is, uh, is the active part of the God. He's forgotten God, we say. And uh, Acts, as we're studying through Acts, that's the revealing of the Holy Spirit breaking into the world and, and being active. We see that as part of it today. I mean, that same Holy Spirit who was active and alive then is active and alive today. If in you, if what? You're born again. The Spirit is in you if you're born again. If you are not born again, if you're not a Christian, I'm not talking about just in said word, but if your life has been changed, drastically changed by trusting and believing the gospel, then the Holy and, and repenting of your sins, believing the gospel, then the Holy Spirit is alive and active in you. And that's a good way to know is, am I, and that's a good question for each of us to ask. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know that the God of the universe lives within you? That part of the God, the, the third person of the Godhead lives within you. If not, you have to question. You have to listen to this pastor today and listen and say, if the Spirit doesn't live within you, then you are not born again. Be our desire for you today to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit, to have that confidence and that knowing that I am a child of the King. That's our hope for you today. Acts chapter 8, keep going with me. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of this execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, Paul says um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, uh, you can write that down and you can go read about what he says there. Uh, Paul says in his life that he was so zealous uh, in his religion, he was so zealous toward the, what he thought were the things of God uh, that he persecuted the church. And so his overseeing this uh, execution of Stephen was just one example of the persecution that we see him being a part of and, and Christians being persecuted again throughout all the New Testament, even up to today. And, and, and the New Testament really is littered with passages that says, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, you will face persecution. 
As a matter of fact, I'm going I'm to read these to you. I'm not going to ask you to turn them, but I would encourage you to write them down because there's 10 of them. So listen quickly and write them down. I don't see nobody reaching for a pen. I don't see nobody's thumbs getting ready. to. Okay, one. Thanks, Sue Ann. One. Two. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Here's, here's, what it's, here's, here's some scriptures I want you to read. 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. My persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord, uh, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who have a desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. Okay? That's 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. Second one, John 15, 19 and 20. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus talking, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Matthew chapter 5 Verses 10 and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's like, bro, they did it to the people before you. Why do you not think that they will do it to you? If you're going to stand for Jesus, if you're going to say, I follow Jesus... Why in the world do you think they wouldn't do it to you? They did it to all the people before you. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and, uh, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He's like, hey man, all this is going to be yours, but it's not going to come. It's not going to be yours before you uh, receive some persecution along the way. Revelation 2, 10 and 11. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Man, that's good news. He's like, man, uh, when you die the second death, bro, you, you are good. You're good. You're going to be persecuted, but let me tell you, you're okay in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships. Here's the word, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to be weak people. We don't need to try to do this on our own. Weak so that Christ may be made strong, so that we got find our strength in Jesus. We just saying that, I find my strength, I find my hope, I find my help in Christ alone. Not in our own ingenuity, not in our own mustering up enough to do it, but we find our help in Christ alone. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4 that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as has come to pass and just as you know. Matthew 10, uh, excuse me, I'll skip to 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. 
Here's, and this will be the last one. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you uh, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's told us what it's going to be like if we stand for him. He's told us what it's going to be like if we say we are followers of Jesus. If you are filled with the Spirit and you declare the good news of the gospel and you call people to repentance and you you, you confront people over their sin, just like we see the apostles doing all through the New Testament, then you will face persecution. It happened then. It will still happen today. The text says, and, and Paul and Saul approved his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So a lot of uh, Saul during this time, he, he took pleasure in persecutions. He, he, liked, he, he was good with it. He's like, let's have another persecution today. Uh, he, he was all about it. I mean, that, that was his gig. I mean, that, that's what he was doing. He, he liked that kind of stuff. And so you hear me going back between Saul and Paul, and I hope many of you didn't get grow up and, like I was, and, and I learned this in church somewhere along the way that Saul's name got changed to Paul, and, you know, because he became a Christian, suddenly his name is Paul, and that's, that's just two different languages that call him the same name, same guy, Okay. Two different languages, same guy. His name didn't get changed. It's just Saul is Paul in a different language. Tracking with me there? His name didn't get changed just because he became a Christian. Y'all okay with that? If you're not, too bad. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, he, he came to deeply regret this, though. Paul came to deeply regret what it was. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, um, uh, he later wrote, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Acts 26, 11, we'll read that as we get further into Acts in probably a year, year and a half, something like that. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And, and, and so I'm sure Paul probably had some sleepless nights over the things that he ended up doing to Christians. Once he became a follower of Jesus, he's like, how could I have done this to people? The truth is, he engaged in it uh, all throughout his particular life. Here's what we know. There, there have been martyrs throughout the year. I, I was going to tell you, but for the sake of time, I won't go into... Um, uh, oh, you know what? I will tell you the story. There was, uh, back in uh, 1956, uh, there was a, a missionary team that went to Ecuador. And they were trying to reach some, some um, uh, people who had, they had not reached, some unreached people's group. And uh, they had kind of dropped some stuff to these people, and they were flying over, and they could see that there were people that had probably never even been reached before. And, and so this missionary team goes down. They finally land their plane, and as soon as they get out to, uh, when they get out of the plane and they go and they uh, encounter these new people that had ne- they believe had never heard the gospel, never heard of Jesus, these missionaries were bludgeoned. They were killed right away, and... Uh, uh, and, and, and they were killed. And, and their family, you would think, now if I'm with the family, if I'm one that didn't happen to go, I'd be like, well, we gave it a good shot. Uh, back to the States. Uh, you know, I would have been like, oh, that is not the place where I want to go back to. Yet his wife chose to go back there and spend years and years and years with her. Her name's Elizabeth Elliot. 
Uh, and uh, she, was, she spent lo- lots of time with the people in Ecuador sharing the good news of the gospel with them, even after her husband became a martyr and, 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 uh, because he wanted to go and share the gospel with people. And I say that to say that there are martyrs that still happen today. We, we, we don't face that a lot in the States, but our brothers and sisters around the country still face martyrdom uh, even in the face of, of, of situations today. And so as you look at Stephen, you might go, why in the world did this happen? I mean, there's not a whole lot else about Stephen in the scriptures other than Paul talking about him, you know, along the way as he references it back and forth when he looks back to this time. I mean, if you look at Stephen, you're like, man, he was quick and he spouted on the scene and man, he was full of wisdom and he preached the gospel fervently and they boom, killed him right away. And that's about all we hear of Stephen. And so you could look at his life and go, man, how in the world, why is this significant? Why did God call him to, to do what he did? Why did God call him to, to, to speak the message that he spoke at that particular time? And I was like, and I believe this, and I, I read this this week, that the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. As we read stuff like this, the blood of the martyrs, if they were willing to go to their death, became the seed of the church. We see that with Elizabeth Elliot and, and her husband and that crew that went there. They died quickly, but the blood of those martyrs became the seed of the gospel that was spread to those indigenous people. The blood of Stephen became the seed of the gospel where people were spread throughout the country. And the blood of the gospel still, we see that same kind of thing here today. The fact that you're sitting in this building listening to me declare the good news of the gospel today is part of those seeds continuing to be spread well, if you've got another church where you sit in and you go regularly, that the, the fact that the, the gospel was spread and the gospel spread this way uh, is the fact that there were martyrs who gave their life for the fact of us to be able to stand and declare that we follow Jesus and we worship Jesus. The blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. Scripture says that they were scattered, the apostles were scattered at that time. And so when you think of scatter, there's a couple different words for that. Sometimes when you think of scattering, you can think of, what if you threw something out into the ocean? Like some people are buried, they're, they're cremated, they throw their ashes over the ocean, and so their ashes just kind of disappear, right? They just kind of disappear into the water, and, and, and that's, you know, some people choose to do those kinds of things whenever uh, they, they, uh, they're buried and they're cremated. And so, uh, so when you think of scattered, that's one way to think of scattered, but another thing, again, is thinking about sowing seeds. You might ever, like, back in the day or, you know, if you're going to plant something, sometimes you just throw, you get some plowed ground and you throw seeds. You might know what I'm talking about. Anybody country people in here? Raise your hands if you country with me. Come on. I got about six of y'all, bunch of city people. Uh, uh, but it's, it, the idea here is the scattering of seeds. The scattering of seeds because it says they, scattered, they were scattered throughout all the regions And so it's the scattering of seeds that whenever they went places, they had to go and they shared the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus told his followers uh, to look beyond Jerusalem, beyond the gospel to to Judea. And by this time, uh, they, they hadn't taken it anywhere. And so by this persecution... They were driven places to go and spread the gospel. They, they couldn't just stay in their nice, quaint places. I'm familiar here. I like it here. I, I, I like these people. We, none of us like change, right? 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 Yeah, thank you. 
Uh, none of us like change. We see that here at Refuge. We, we have gospel community groups. It's gospel community groups that come together. And sometimes, uh, like people come into my gospel community group to begin with. We, Carol and I host people in our homes. And it's like a sad day whenever we have to like, okay, get out. Uh, uh, it's time for you to scatter. You know, it's time for you, you to go out and, and, and be who you're going to be and, and plan another gospel community group. And it's a sad time because none of us like to be scattered. We like to stay close by. But we're not called to just do this, live in our holy huddles. We're called to be scattered. You're called to be, to go, as if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to go in the power of the Holy Spirit with the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. And so we send people out, just like these disciples were scattered for different reasons, obviously, that we don't threaten to kill people in my GC. A uh, couple considered, but anyway. Uh, but we, uh, we don't threaten to kill people, but we scatter people for the sake of the gospel being spread. Same kind of thing was happening is that the, the spread of the gospel was sent out. It spread because of the threat that was coming during that time. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we don't even want to go willingly. But that is our calling as followers of Jesus is to live as sent people. Uh, verse 2 says this, uh, Devout men buried Stephen and make great lamentations over him and um, it seems like some of these Jews were horrified at Stephen's murder. Uh, maybe that's Luke way, Luke's way of telling us that, you know, not all the Jewish people during that time were, were angry or not all the Jewish people were upset with him like we see, obviously, some of these religious guys were. But some of the Jewish leaders uh, uh, helped him be buried. Verse 3 and 4 says this, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so Saul, again, was just wreaking havoc on the church. Um, he, he was, uh, and whenever it says he was ravaging the church, I think that's the text. Yeah, ravaging the church. Um, uh, I want you to think about how um, like an army destroys a city. When an army ravages a city, they just kind of go in and will just destroy a city. You've seen enough pictures on TV of wars that happen around the country or around the, around the world and how cities just get destroyed. Uh, but another one that I thought was more interesting uh, was like an, uh, a wild animal tearing at its meat. That, that's the picture that, that uh, uh, the writer wants us to understand. Luke wants us to understand that that's the way it was like, as a wild dog would tear meat from a bone is the picture he wanted to get whenever he said Saul was ravaging the church. Angry, vicious, demeaning, attacking. Yet they lift out that God used even that uh, vitriol and even that hatred from Saul to see that the gospel got spread where he wanted it to go. And what it says was, is uh, verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the gospel. So when we read that, that we see, uh, they went around preaching the gospel, we think of this, right? Standing behind a pulpit, I'm the preacher, and I'm preaching the gospel. That's what we think about whenever we, whenever we read those kinds of words. But that's not what was happening. People weren't going into a gathering of people like this and standing behind a pulpit. Honestly, it just meant they were going and sharing the good news. They would encounter people, and they would just tell them about this resurrected Jesus. They would go, have I, have I told you that 
You, you know that Jesus got, you don't know him? Let me tell you about him. And they would tell the story about Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, he was raised from the dead. They're like, get out of town. Like, no, really, he was raised from the dead. And they would tell the story and they would share the gospel message. And they would tell about being filled with the Holy Spirit and how it's changed their lives. And they live as sent people. And so the people, as they were sent, uh, as they were scattered about preaching the word, it's like the same thing that we have a desire for you to go and to tell people that you know and you love and you encounter to, about Jesus and his hope for you, that, that, that where you found your hope, you found it in Jesus. What a glorious thing it is to see people share Jesus with other people. We're having baptisms shortly. That's why the vast majority of you are here to see people get baptized. There's one of our stories. One of our stories here today is we had another student that was sharing the gospel with another student. And that's how he came, became to know the Lord. The vast majority of that comes not from necessarily the preaching of the word from pastors, but from friend to friend sharing it with one another. Charles Spurgeon says this, in every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God, the Lord will cause it to be spread abroad. More or less, he never means that a church should be like a nut shut up in a shell, nor an ointment enclosed in a box. The precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. And that's your calling. Not to keep it in a box. Not to keep it hidden, but to have the fervor of a Luke St. Clair that loves to tell people about Jesus. To have a fervor, like many of you, desiring to tell people about Jesus, not to hold it to ourselves, but to share the good news of the gospel. Listen, you don't save anybody. Neither do I. Jesus saves people. And he has chosen for us to go to work with dad and to share the good news about the gospel. And then he awakens people to the gospel as he sees fit. That's how it works. But we get to be part of that process. That's just the way God ordained things. That we get to share and be the mouthpiece of the good news of the gospel. And sometimes, it, it, here's some of the cool things. Uh, uh, students were at my seniors were at our house this weekend uh, celebrating, you know, the fact that they're leaving and, and going off to do whatever they're going to do. And I told the seniors this I said, It's been really cool to watch many of you come in and out of our home and in and out of our home over the last five, six, seven years, whatever it's been, and to see them move from death to life. Like to, to see the countenance on their faces, just to see them and hear them talk about the gospel. Like these are teenage boys and girls that are talking about the gospel and wrestling with hard things and, 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 and wrestling over why, why do we believe this and what should we do in this situation? But to literally see the light in their eyes is a glorious, glorious thing that God has done. And so our calling is not to hold that to ourselves. Our calling is to share that with people. Why does this matter? We do a big so what. Uh, J.C. Ryle said this. The true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such. He is not meant to live a life of religious ease, indolence, insecurity. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze along the way to heaven like one traveling in an easy carriage. Refuge, that's, he's talking to us. He's talking to us. We're not called to just kind of trot our way through this life. 
Our calling is to take up the mantle of the gospel, to speak boldly about the hope that is found in Jesus. Rarely will it cost you your life in the United States. Rarely will that happen. It may cost you something. Probably will cost you something. It may cost you a job. It may cost you some friendships. It may cost you a few arguments. It may cost you a political office. Who knows what it might cost you? It'll cost something. But rarely will it cost you your life. But let's be so bold, bold people, just like Stephen, the power of the Holy Spirit to speak clearly about the gospel, not to mess around. Listen, not to appease other people whenever they say, well, my God this and my God that, and there's multiple ways to heaven. Let's don't be so cowardly not to say, I know you may, not to be unwilling to say, I know that's what you believe, but here's, Jesus says this, I'm the way. You, you can't hold to Jesus and other ways. It's Jesus, choose his way, or you're choosing a, a path that leads to nowhere but destruction. Let's speak clearly. Let's speak confidently. You're like, preacher, I can't do that. That's your job, bro. You're the professional in this. You know what? That's not what the scripture calls us to. Scripture calls all of us to be in this. So speak clearly. Speak confidently. If that means you need to open your Bible a little bit more and read it some more, bro, open your Bible some. You're like, well, preacher, I ain't got a Bible. Well, you know what? We've got one we'll give you. Open your Bible, read it, clear, and understand it, and then speak convincingly. Like you want somebody to know the Jesus that lives within you is the Jesus you want to live within them. That's what our calling is. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That's our role, Christians. But for some of you, that's not your role. You're not a Christian. And you're not called to spread the gospel because you don't know the gospel yet. The gospel hasn't changed your own life. You have not been moved from death to life yet. And so the words that you speak will not be spoken, one, very confidently or very believingly. And they'll come from a place of um, obligation rather than a, a place of a desire for people to know Jesus. And so rather than you speaking those words of the gospel to people, we'd rather you believe the gospel today. We'd rather you come to Jesus today. Just like Stephen would call people to follow the gospel and declare the gospel, we declare it to you that there's salvation found in no other but Jesus. And our hope for you is today that you will come to Jesus. Let me pray for us.